Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadle, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's going on, Rachel? Not much. We have a question this week from a Patreon member, right? We do. We do. So I've got it pulled up right here. Do you mind if I start reading it out and we'll kind of dive in? Let's dive in. All right, so this is a speech therapist that that is in a school-based SLP up in the Northwest. We'll leave it uh, ambiguous like that, right? In the Northwest of the United States. Uh, This person writes, I serve grades K through 12 in a somewhat rural district that has about seven schools with a heavy load of AAC users. That's good stuff right there, right? Okay. Uh, I discovered your podcast this fall and, of course, fell in love with it. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd love to pick your brain on a couple of things. So here we go. I've been wondering about the use of color overlays for AAC systems, such as core boards. Many teachers that I work with use color overlays for reading, which block out or highlight words in a text and allow a student to focus on only one word at a time. But I wonder if it could also be helpful for my AAC users. So well, let's just pause there for a second because I, there's a, a little bit of a question that I have about the way that is written. So when I hear the word color overlay, the first thing that I think of is like acetate. So um, there have been some people will report that if you take a certain cover, color acetate or laminate, right, like say uh, yellow or purple, and you put it over uh, text, some people might report that that helps them read it better. Now, I think the science is a little sketchy on that. I think uh, that um, it doesn't actually bear out in the science, at least what I've read. So if someone has other science to share, please you know, come to the Facebook page, comment on this, and let us know. Uh, that said, I feel like it's like uh, if someone reports that it helps them, then it helps them, right? Whatever, no matter what the science says. It's sort of like taking a placebo effect, like, ah, oh, I take this sugar pill and I feel better. Yeah, but it was just sugar. Yeah, but you still feel better. Right? So doesn't matter. You feel better. Great. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, right? So if you think a yellow overlay or a purple overlay helps you decode the text better, then go for it, right? Use that purple overlay, right? So, but I don't know that that's what this person means, the color overlays. It sounds like, because what they're talking about is many teachers that I work with use color overlays for reading. Okay, that's, I think that's akin which block out or highlight words in text. So that to me is a different strategy or a different tool. That is um, what's called line focus or screen masking. Masking being we're gonna um, take a manila, for for reading purposes, let's say we're gonna take a manila envelope, right? We're gonna cut a little window in this manila envelope and we're gonna slide the paper through this, um, this folder, this manila envelope, where there's this window has been cut out so that we're only seeing a certain amount of text at a time. That to me is different. That's not like a color overlay. I mean, I guess you could put a color overlay through that screen as well, through that window. Um, but what they're really talking about there is blocking out uh, text so that you're not you're only focusing on certain blocks of text at a time, right? So on an AAC device, the way I've seen that work is with, especially when it comes to modeling AAC, um, is using some sort of pointer that has some sort of window on it, right? So I've seen people use like a uh, antenna or a magic wand or a ruler or something. And at the end of that wand or that ruler, there is a 
big piece of yellow tape that has been um, constructed around maybe a piece of cardboard or something. So the tape is on the cardboard making a window so that you're pointing when you're uh, pointing to different words, you're sort of hovering that window over the word with the big yellow square going over the word that's on the end of your ruler or pointer of some sort. Is that what you're sort of thinking too? Yeah, I've also seen this with fly swatters. Have you seen the fly swatter? Yes. It's like cut out fly swatter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, that exact same idea that it's a pointer to, to draw your attention to where I'm um, where I'm modeling, right? Uh, it's And it's not necessarily meant to block out all the other words, but it's meant to focus on this is the word that I'm sort of uh, using right now. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this would be helpful for my AAC users. Yes, I think in this case, something like that, the fly swatter, the pointer would be a good thing. Here's where she says, I push core boards strongly in my special ed classrooms. I'm even creating my own customized core board to use throughout the district. All right, let's just stop right there because you know what I'm going to say. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. Oh, my God. That's my coaching strategy, Chris. And also I know you pointed like me. You pointed it at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What Chris is going to say is we need to be very careful about using random core boards for students if we're thinking about designing with the end in mind, right? Knowing that some of our students are going to progress to high-tech speech generating devices, um, the use of random core boards is not great when we're thinking about motor planning and how long it takes for students to learn the motor plans of all of the words uh, that would be placed on a core board. Right out of my mouth, Rachel Nadel. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. We're always, we, we know each other so well that we know exactly what the other person's going to think and say. So instead of using the random core board, be thinking about using a core board that matches with a system uh, that you might be using, maybe either what other systems, the, if you, you said you're use this, this particular district has a heavy load of AAC users. So what if you were to take all those AAC users and put them in a giant spreadsheet and you had all of their apps, what app might come out of the wash most frequently, that might be something you might consider as your uh, go-to core board. And even in this email, Chris, she talks about how Proloquo to go is her kind of district-wide high-tech speech generating app. So if we know that, we know that using a screenshot of the homepage of a Proloquo um, or even AssistedWare has core boards that um, are kind of exact models of what their, their app, their fully you know robust high-tech app looks like. So that feels like a lot more a seamless transition when you have that student who's been using that core board for two years and now finally we give them access to high tech robust AAC it's a seamless transition between low low or light tech core board to high tech speech generating device yes now we should also say there um despite the fact that you used the example of like two years, right? We're not advocating for that. If you could start with no, the- No, we're yeah. not. <laughs> you Thank you, start. Chris, for specifying. Let's start immediately, not wait two years. Right, right. Um, the, the core board is something that could be used as an environmental support, right? But if we could use a robust, let's go with that right out of the, out of the block. Okay, now, uh, the next point that she asked, she says, um, so I've been creating my own customized core board to use throughout the district, all right, but we just talked about that. 
but many of my students can't discriminate between icons well enough to focus on them as I model or scaffold with queuing support. I worry they are just seeing a full page of busy abstract pictures. So again, the pointer here is a good, um, is a, is a good strategy put in place to kind of highlight what you're pointing at. I, I, I want to dig into this comment here for a second on, um, but my students can't discriminate between icons well enough. There's two points here, at least that I can think of, but I'm, I'm curious what you're thinking, Rachel. One is, how do you know that? How do you know they can't discriminate well enough? Like, what, what, is the, what are the students doing that make, that make you come to that assumption? That's, that's my first thought, because uh, I think that could potentially be that we're imposing our own guess there, you know, that they can't discriminate. But my second thought is, nobody can, or it's very hard to. It's very hard to discriminate icons on an AEC app. Uh, if you were to, this is a, an activity we do um, sometimes in our uh, some of the presentations we do. Take that. Take Proloquo. Proloquo is an, actually a, a good example since this um, this this teacher is familiar with it. Um, but it could work with any AEC app. So it's not just Proloquo, but just the case because you, it, we brought up that particular app. If you were to take off all the text underneath the pictures and give it to any kindergartner. Give it to any first grader. Give it to any adult and say, what's that word? What's that word? What's that word? Without the text underneath it, they would often struggle with what those pictures are because the pictures don't necessarily represent what the, the, the text is by just looking at it. This is something we've talked about in the past called iconicity. Um, and that, you know, if, if I had a picture of something how do you draw a picture of a core vocabulary word like the word work, right? What does that look like? If you had to draw that picture right now, what would you draw? And people would, some people would draw a shovel. Some people would draw a, 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 a bunch of pieces of paper. And you'd see those pieces of paper and you'd go, what's that? You'd be like, that's paper. Or you'd say, that's shovel. You wouldn't necessarily come up with the word work. You know what I would draw, Chris? A sad, a sad face. <laughs> but then people would say, that's sad. <laughs> that's a sad face. Exactly. So it's really hard for anybody to look at icons on any AEC system and go, oh, well, that's what that word is. That's clearly that word. So I wouldn't necessarily stress about them discriminating and just focus on teaching what those pictures mean. Yes. I have another thought. Well, two thoughts. One is we're either relying on, on visual discrimination or motor planning. When a student is using AAC, they're either using visual discrimination, which can happen in the early stages of AAC because they haven't had enough repetitive practice to learn the motor plans, or they've had enough repetitive practice to learn the motor plans. With the caveat, if you're always moving the buttons around, or you're using a system like PEX, for example, where you're constantly presenting vocabulary in a different way every time, then all you have is to rely on visual discrimination. So visual discrimination in and of itself is not a prerequisite to being successful with AAC. You can keep all of the vocabulary in the same place and have enough repetitive practice with the same word to actually learn the motor plan. So we know that because we have kids with CVI who they, they can't visually access um, you know, a lot of visual information, but they're still able to learn the motor planning for where their words are on the system. So that's kind of the first point that I wanna make. The second point that I wanna make, which I feel like is a really important one, is in my clinical experience, I find that 
sometimes students who are not showing accuracy and intentionality with core boards or light tech AAC immediately start showing accuracy and consistency when you introduce high-tech AAC. So there's a value to the auditory input that you get from seeing that button and then touching that button and hearing that word. That experience, I feel like, can be really powerful for students. And so many times I've seen kids, they don't care at all about a core board, but the moment you put a high-tech device, they're like, I have lots to say, and I'm gonna hit this button, and I'm gonna initiate, and I'm gonna learn these words and use these words. So I feel like those kind of two points I feel like are really important in relation to this question. 100%. 100%. No prerequisites for high-tech AEC. Just start using it right away. And yes. Uh, all right. Let's see. Let's, let's continue on. Of course, my first reaction here is to create more individualized, simple core boards with fewer or larger icons catered to individual students. But you can almost see in the way this person wrote this that they, they, they know that's not necessarily the right move, right? It's just the impulse is to do that. But wait a second, is that the right move? And just there, I want to give this person um, credit for really reflecting on there and making a purposeful choice here rather than a knee-jerk reaction and just doing that, right? So awesome. She says, part of my bigger goal is to support communication skills throughout the entire school district using core boards as a tier one approach and a training tool for staff. Yes, right? That's awesome. I like the idea of maintaining consistency and having students see the same core board and icons throughout their day. Yes, great stuff. Uh, I also feel limited by the amount of language I can provide on a simpler, smaller board. Exactly, exactly. Going back to why we're going to use a home screen of a application that is widely used in your neck of the woods. Exactly. Also, by providing it as a tier one support, and again, what we mean by tier one is something that's available to everybody. A tier one support is available to everybody. Tier two, a group of people. Tier three would be an individual person. So tier one makes it um, easier for other uh, peers to model, right? Uh, everyone could have that core board. I meaning everyone, people who don't even require AAC could have it. They could learn where the words are and be modeling on it and using it. And then of course for staff as well. So back to color overlays. Do you know if there's any sort of color overlay or a similar tool that would work on AAC boards? Something that could highlight or frame an icon to help a student attend to it. I'm even a Am I even on the right track with this? My instinct is to go home and create my own, but I'd much rather see what is already out there and what would be most effective. So we already talked about some of those, like the fly swatter, right? Or or making some. Um, I think some people have gotten even fancy with like uh, like little lights, like fairy lights, you know, a battery-powered fairy lights around their, their magic wand or their pointer. Um, but those are the sort of strategies I'd be thinking about there. Is that what you're thinking too, Rachel? Yeah, I've also used a laser pointer, depending on the kid, and sometimes that becomes more <laughs> more distracting, but also can shift into a therapy activity where I'm like, ooh, where should we put the laser pointer? On the ceiling? <laughs> on the floor? <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like, generally speaking, kind of all the things that we talked about are good ideas. Um, also, some of the systems have built in, like Proloquo, for example, because this SLP is talking about Proloquo. Uh, Proloquo has a search feature that 
kind of gives an errorless path to a vocabulary word. Um, so even if I'm working on a core word, for example, um, if I'm really trying to get more independence, um, I'll program or I'll search for on, which I know is on the homepage, and then I'll click and then the rest of the, the screen is dimmed slightly and on is highlighted. Um, so that's something that you know you can use you know in other systems there's vocabulary builder list and there's lots of kind of these these features built in to kind of help with the motor planning practice um, so I yeah my only other suggestion would be see what the tool itself has um, as far as um, you know being able to highlight a specific icon now I don't think Proloquo has a specific feature and I think there are some apps that do that can actually pair with another iPad so you could connect through Bluetooth so what I'm modeling on this iPad actually highlights lights over on this other iPad. That is kind of sweet, I think. Um, and that would be a feature that I could potentially be looking for. Something, but I, in this case, since we're not necessarily using that, then just going with the light tech mode, I, I think helps. One other thought I had here, Rachel, was um, not actually making that sort of magic wand or that pointer yourself, but asking, inviting other learners, other students, maybe um, that are work peers, to say, "Hey, you're, let's create this communication committee, right?" And part of the communication committee is um, maintaining environmental core boards around the school, or helping create them, making giant posters that we're going to put up in different places. Also, hey, can you help us make these magic wands? I need one that ends with a uh, a square that's yellow, but I want another one that ends in a star shape that's yellow. But I also need uh, ones in different colors. I need one that ends in red in case some student really likes uh, and attunes to red better than, um, and keys into red rather than purple, rather than green, right? So guys, let's make a whole bunch together. Um, I could totally see that as a fun, meaningful, authentic activity for uh, this communication crew to to work on right what do you think about something like that yeah i also i mean i think that's great and i always think giving students authentic work makes sense um the fact that we don't do that more often than we do is just disheartening um but i think what we also do there is we have an opportunity to teach peers about AAC, about the importance of modeling, about helping our peers in the classroom who use AAC, and this is what this, you know, fly swatter or whatever it might be is going to help with. Um, I think it just opens the door for those conversations, which um, I think is really important. And then we know that kids learn best through other kids. So having peer models in the classroom is way more effective than all the work that we do, you know, as teachers and SLPs and paraprofessionals, right? Like having, you know, Bobby run up and model, you know, go before they leave the classroom is the best. So let's facilitate more of that. And I think we can do that with an exercise like this. Now, this person goes on and has another question in their email, which we will get to, but not today. It's going to have to wait until the next uh, to the next podcast um, because we're out of time. We got to we got to kick it over to the interview today, which Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about what the interview is today? Yes, Chris, before we hop over to that interview, I want to remind everybody that we are trying to get more reviews on iTunes. Please, please, please. If you love this podcast, go to iTunes, click the stars and leave us a review. We would love to hear what you think about this podcast. And we're also trying to help expand the podcast's reach. Um, so that happens when you take a little bit of your time, go to iTunes, 
find our podcast, scroll down, leave a review. Um, thank you guys so much for all of you who have left a review. We really appreciate it. Um, and Chris, today's interview is part two with Tracy Kovach, correct? That's the one. All right, let's head into the interview, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better, if you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. Let's talk about for a second here, pre-service education. What we're talking about now is changing a system for people that are already working, but we also have the future here coming up, going through colleges and universities. And if they were learning this system and then they came in day one to a job, say, okay, uh, uh, how am I going to do communication partner training, right? How am I going to do the, put my, my minutes in that bucket instead of a direct instruction bucket? Um, so what do you think is the state of pre-service education? And we don't have to speak specifically coaching just in AEC in general what are your thoughts when it comes down to it um you know we've got these devices that really all they're you just have to learn the recipe in order to learn how to use them it's just a recipe you just learn it and if you have to have it in front of you to read it that's fine but once you learn it you can do it what you can't do as a recipe is teach language mm-hmm. And I think what we really might need to be thinking more about and emphasizing more in our pre-service training programs is not saying, well, let me tell you everything I know about a such and such device or about how you program pages or how you color code blah, blah, blahs. But what we really need to be thinking about is how do I teach language? And you teach language with people who use AAC systems the same way you teach language for somebody who doesn't use an AAC system. And there are ways, there are strategies, there are, there are um, programs that can help you teach language. And I think we need to be focusing with our um, you know, pre-service training programs on that whole concept. Don't worry about the technology. And here's the good news about saying that, you know, like technology for me is like, oh, I hope it works. Oh, I think I charged it, but I'm not sure I put it in the right thing. You know, I mean, I do that with my computer, much less an AAC system. But so we've got folks that are like the technology is like, whatever. Yeah, I know how that works. Oh, if it didn't work, then, well, you just push that button. Oh, that didn't work. We'll push the other button. If I push buttons, I screw everything up. But these folks, I mean, they just push buttons because they know which button which buttons to push number one, but they're not afraid of the technology. So the technology is not the focus. The language really needs to be the focus. And that gets kind of into the whole assessment process, which is kind of like, what are we thinking about when we're thinking about system recommendations based on individuals who are at whatever level they are in terms of language competency what programs are we thinking of that work best for them to develop language? Not what, what is the technology? Now, we have to think about the technology in terms of access, but let me tell you, I have yet to work with any manufacturer of an AAC system that doesn't have a range of access. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is say, this is what I want to do. And they go, okay, you just do it this way. 
I mean, they all do that. They all have that option. Almost all of them. I shouldn't say all because I don't know all of them, but um, you know, access the technology needs to come into play, of course, but really what we need to be thinking about. And I think what we need to be teaching more about is language and how that works. I, I couldn't agree more. The, the, how to click the buttons and, um, uh, how to work the technology, the operational skills for for the practitioner is you can look that up on YouTube. There's directions. You could easily reach out to somebody if you, in today's world, your, your professional learning network, if you got stuck there, um, what's a lot more complicated and takes a lot more time and more practice and a little and more skill really is the language instruction and making it uh, engaging and empowering and fun and not drill and kill and, um, and doing it in a way that, um, that uh, is enticing. You know, I feel like that is uh, more nuanced and needs more practice. Yeah. And again, I think that there's, you know, I, when I said, you know, teaching language with a person who uses AAC is the same as teaching language to a person who doesn't use AAC. It's not exactly the same. I mean, there certainly are different things that come into play that you need to consider, but let's teach those skills. Then let's teach how to be diverse in our teaching of language, as opposed to saying, well, you just have to learn about AAC. That's what you have to learn. And if you are coming out of a university that didn't happen to have a course in AAC bummer, that's too bad. I guess you're going to have to spend four years figuring it out because I will guarantee you. And I've taught, AAC courses. And I've said to graduate students, I will guarantee you, unless you specialize and say, I'm only going to be working at a voice clinic, or I'm only going to do fluency instruction at such and such a clinic, because that's what they focus on. You will have people using AAC on your caseload. Mm -hmm. You will have them. And I can also guarantee you that you will spend every Saturday and Sunday trying to figure out what to do with one, with one client versus the other 90 that you have on your caseload. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, just saying that the answer to our pre-service training um, dilemma is AAC coursework is not really right. I think it might need to be really broadened and, and we really need to focus on some different things. Tracy, let me take you back here for a second, if you don't mind talking about this. And that is, so, you know, maybe tell me if this is right. Like, even 20 years ago, um, maybe there was a small pocket of people talking about AAC. And now today, it feels like there's so many more people talking about it. It has grown. And I would like to make, if, if, that, if you agree with that claim, one of the reasons I think that happened was this um, a major shift that people had was, um, and, and let me also just say before I talk about this shift, um, the, what, what I also heard you say is that the, the number of university experiences has sort of stayed the same or hasn't, if, if there's been a crescendo, it's been a very small one, right? Mm -hmm. So there was, uh, to me, a major shift that happened was the PALS conference, right? And that whole thing, the number of alumni that came out of that experience. And so I know you were sort of uh, intimately involved with that. In fact, that was, uh, I teased how we first met and that was me driving into the PALS um, uh uh, suburb and and the, the you the first thing you said to me as I as I was pulling into my car you came walking out I didn't know who you were you're like are you Chris and I was like yeah yeah am I in the right spot she's like <laughs> you you were like yeah I'm in the right you're in the right spot you have that deer in the headlights look this is it you're here and then we just bonded from that moment um so can you talk a little bit about that and would you agree like this was the, the number of people that came out of a of, of that um that 
that experience with their mindset shifted on AAC, I feel like that was the uh, the tidal wave that maybe helped push propel the new generation of people uh, and really expanded how many people really talked about um, this new way of looking at AAC rather than the small pocket of people. Would you agree with well, all that? Can you talk about yeah. that? I'd love to hear all about it. Okay, so let me go back and just identify or define rather PALS. PALS was the Pittsburgh AAC Language Seminar Series. And it was developed by Bruce Baker, who was the inventor and developer of MinSpeak. Um, and so what Bruce thought about, he was very, he passed away in um, May of 2020. So we certainly miss his guidance. But in addition to developing this MinSpeak program, he had a real interest in learning. Um, and what he, what he felt was that First of all, there were many of us in the field, like you said, there was a, a core group of people who were just kind of, you know, spinning around in a ball. And he really felt that this was information that needed to be um, disseminated more fully. But he also had a vision that he felt that the way to do this was to be learning from one another. You know, he was probably doing coaching long before he knew anything about what coaching was. Um, and that's what the Pittsburgh AAC language seminar was about. And, you know, the deer in the headlights, I love that because I, it was so fun. I could predict it, you know, I, oh, here comes a car and they, you know, they've got their phone and they've got MapQuest and they're going, is this the right place? Because um, the other thing that he did was he, and he was able to do this, not, this is very unique, but he was able to, he had, we called it the compound. It was really the residential complex, but he had a number of houses near his office building where we held these meetings and conferences. And that's where people stayed for nothing. They didn't have to pay for it. He paid for meals. So it, it was affordable first and foremost, it was affordable. So people would come. They could come and you could say to your principal, I have an opportunity to spend three days doing um, really intensive training in the area of AAC, which is, by the way, part of what, you know, you're supposed to be helping me do. And it's going to cost nothing. It's going to cost nothing. Maybe you have to get a substitute for me, maybe not, but it's really going to cost you nothing. I mean, who, what administrator is going to say, no, you can't go. Right. Okay. So that was the first thing that Bruce really realized people really want to learn, but they can't afford, they can't afford to go to ASHA. They can't afford to go to ATIA or whatever it is. So he made things free. The second thing that he really believed was really important was again, this learning from one another, being, being, having this campus environment and learning from one another because of me saying, gosh, you know, I have a kid and I don't know what to do with him. Chris, do you have any ideas about what I should do? Oh, I just heard them talking about that, but I don't think that applies to my kid. What do you think? Um, and so he really wanted people to be forced to be together and to learn from one another. And what we found was that, in fact, that did happen. You know, the deer in the headlights, you know, uh, the person I, I go back to this, um, you know, well, you're staying at. Um, Bruce Baker's house. Right. It's this is the address. Well, like Bruce Baker, who the hell is Bruce Baker? And, you know, I just I oftentimes had these, you know, primarily uh, young women who would be coming to these. They would say, well, I told my husband where I was going to be. I need to call in. Um, and I said, well, what did you tell him? And, I, and they said, well, I told them that I was staying at Bruce Baker's house. And my husband said, you're what? <laughs> and 
I remember there was a guy who came a long, long, long time ago. He showed up and it was during, you know, it was not um, daylight savings time. So it was dark. He showed up at about five o'clock and he came to the door and we greeted him and said, yeah, you're at the right place. And, and he pulled out his phone and he said, just a minute, I have to call my wife. And we said, OK. And it wasn't until the end of the conference that he said, you know, when I had to call my wife, let me tell you what I what I did. I pulled up to the address and I had called my wife and I said, if I don't call you back in 10 minutes, call the police because I have no idea if this is the Bruce Baker place and what I'm here for. And so, in fact, that's what he had done. He called his wife and said, it's OK. I'm at the right spot. Everything's fine. So anyhow, um, you know, Bruce was very um, visionary in terms of really appreciating and understanding that we learn from one another. And you're right. The whole concept of the of the Pittsburgh AAC language seminar series was to say to people, you are here to learn from one another and learn about things. Take it back, mm -hmm. take it back to your place. And you did that, Chris, take it back to where you can get your group of people together. You don't have to have them come over to your house and spend three nights there, but take it back, take this information back and share it. Um, and, and, because people left those conferences, as you said, really enthusiastic and really, really understanding it, not just getting the one hour presentation, but really understanding it and being able to explain it and have some resources to use to explain it. I think people did do that. And I think that we're finding that that's what's happened. The, the PALS conferences have been not replaced. We're still doing them, the seminars, but we're doing them virtually. And in fact, you can go to the MinSpeak website and see some of the scheduling for different things that we're doing. Um, but the same information is out there. And, you know, we've wrestled with this whole idea of really, do we want to put people in front of a computer for a whole day or for three days? This is awful. People do it mm -hmm. and they love it. And yeah. they do it because they have time to process. They've heard it more than once. Oh, I can think through it. Oh, she asked a question that I had to ask. Um, and so I think that that's I think that it's a learning style that we need to adopt more. Yeah, because this sort of stuff, what you're doing, what we're doing right now, Zoom conferencing, it's not going to go away or it's just going to um, continue to amplify these sort of uh, uh, remote learning experiences. Right. I mean, it's just too cost effective for for other places. Um, and so there isn't like you you, you kind of got to learn how to do, how it works for you right and so yeah. uh, and people i think are getting used to it you know um certainly uh, rachel and i talk about this all the time we've only met each other a handful of times and we'd been doing a podcast for almost two years before we met in in person so adopting these sorts of things makes a lot of sense to me yeah. tracy something i haven't heard a story i haven't really heard is i don't really know how you got involved with um minspeak and pals and bruce and the the whole uh, impetus there how what, do you Mind sharing? No, I'd be happy to. So, you know, again, working as a speech language pathologist, you know, trudging through, figuring things out, maybe. I happened to be working with a young man one time who was, he had athetoid cerebral palsy. Um, Jeremiah was his name. And um, he was very bright. And, um, you know, you just, you knew he was a very bright guy. But his access, he had cortical visual impairment. Um, and to access a communication system was kind of like, really? I mean, so great, you can scan, but don't you have to see the scan? And so I kind of got into it from actually uh, a guy who um, he was he wasn't even a teacher. He was just kind of a tech 
person at a school where I was, he said to me one time, he said, have you, have you looked into this program? It's, I think it's called Men Speak and it's called, you know, it's a AAC thing and all the pictures are on one board. And I'm wondering if for Jeremiah, that might be something because, you know, he, he could probably figure out where the pictures are and blah, blah, blah. And so I thought, well, all right. First of all, I, I did look into it and I thought, are you kidding me? Nobody can figure. I can't figure. Really? That picture means that and that and that? No way. And so I looked into it a little bit further and I found that actually Bruce Baker was doing a presentation in Fort Worth, Texas. And I happened to have some relatives in Texas. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go to one of his presentations and try to figure this out. And I did. And, and I just went, aha, aha. <laughs> I get it. Um, and he talked about it. Actually, he talked about it from a perspective of hieroglyphics and because he was a linguist, not a speech pathologist. He was a linguist. And he talked about how, you know, in using um, symbols, hieroglyphics, they have multiple meanings. And depending on where they are in a sequence determines what is actually being said. And he was studying hieroglyphics and he was challenged with trying to figure out what was being said with pieces of tablets missing. And he figured out their system of coding or encoding using pictures. And that's really how he developed MinSpeak and how he figured that if you use these icons, representations that have multiple meanings, you don't have to have a thousand of them. You can have a limited number of them. And in fact, that's what I started to do with Jeremiah. And so we spent, Jeremiah and I spent many, many days with a flip chart and a hand-drawn picture of like, let's say a telephone and talking about, okay, so what does a phone mean? Well, you can call somebody, you talk on a phone. Um, you know, red phones are important because they usually mean there's, you know, they're emergency phones. And sometimes your teacher calls your mom on the phone if you've been creepy that day or whatever. And, and so we spent many, many days like talking about multiple meaningness of pictures until, and he didn't, it didn't take long for him to get it. And actually this is a funny story because I saw his mom, we had been doing this for a year or two. And I saw his mom out in the store one day and I said, oh, hey, Marianne, how you doing? How's Jeremiah? Oh, fine. And she kind of went, oh, but I'm dealing with a telephone company. And I just said, really? What? What's going on? And she said, yeah, I got my telephone bill last week and there were charges on it for calls made to Germany and to France <laughs> and to California, and we don't know anybody there. And I said to the phone company, these are not my charges. And they said, well, sorry, they, they're coming from your phone. And so she said, so I'm dealing with this. And I just thought, oh, because they happened to have in the day, they had a landline and it was a phone on a wall, mounted on a wall. And Jeremiah was oftentimes in the kitchen with his mom when she was cooking and that's where their phone was. And he could flip his hand. And so he'd flip his hand and he flipped the phone down on his tray and he just like push buttons. Push buttons. <laughs> because he was like using the phone. And I just kind of went, whoa, gee, Marianne, well, I hope that works out for you. you know? <laughs> Good luck with that. But that's really how I got into it. And, you know, another story about Jeremiah was um, one time I, I, this was, he was, I was working at Children's Hospital with him and his um, school speech therapist and I had an ongoing sort of, you know, 
tug of war. It's sort of like he can do this. He can use this system. He knows how to say these things. And they would say, no, he doesn't. No, he can't. He doesn't use it in school. And one time I invited him to a, a social. We were having an open house for something and he had, you know, he could tell these jokes. He was really fun. And I thought this will be a great way for people to learn about augmentative communication. And so he was there. He couldn't do anything. He, he was practically in tears. And I, later I said to him, Jeremiah, what's the deal? What's going on? He couldn't hear the beeps. Uh-huh. What he had learned was he was doing he was using a light talker and he was doing row column scanning. And he was able the reason he could do it with me is because it was quiet, quiet. and he could hear the beeps. And so he'd count beep, 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 row four. And then it would go beep, 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 column six. And he knew what row four, column six picture was. And that's how he used it. Couldn't do it in school, too noisy, couldn't do it in that environment. So that's how I kind of, you know, got into this whole. And when, you know, when they started doing um, auditory fishing um, and auditory cueing in systems, that's the reason they started doing it so that people didn't have to rely on their vision to see the lights, but they could hear the cues. And if they learned what the cue was for the content, then they could access it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I got involved in MinSpeak, you know, from a very practical perspective. The other perspective was the whole language piece, you know, the whole fact that, you know, I want I want Jeremiah to be able to talk to me, not just to tell me what he wants to eat, because I can pretty much figure that out. Um, I really want him to be able to tell me how things went last night at home or what he did. And so the whole language piece and and MinSpeak was a system that I felt and I still do feel offers that whole ability to use language, not just um, vocabulary. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So let me ask then, do you, you're in Fort Worth, Texas, do you go down and talk to Bruce and that's how you form a relationship? You know what I mean? It's as someone just sitting in a, in a presentation, kind of getting it to having this friendship over the years. Yes, that's exactly how it happened. And, you know, I did, I went up to him and I said, you know, I'm from Colorado. And he said, whoa, Colorado. And because nobody there was from Colorado, they were mostly, it was a local thing, you know, they had done at a local, I don't know, a rehab center or something. And most of the people People were pretty local. Uh, now in Texas, you have to remember local could be a thousand miles away and right, you're still right. from Texas. But um, more than that, you're from Colorado. And so, yeah, I talked to him about it and I said, you know, I really understand this. And I had and I think I even mentioned to him, Jeremiah, and I talked to him about that. And he said, well, you know, we have these conferences. And at the time they were the Minsky conferences. And he said, it would be really great if you if you use this with this kid, if you could do a presentation just telling us how you how you developed it, that would be instructive and people would like to hear that. And so I and so I did that. And, you know, for years, I would see Bruce. I would I, I wasn't really close to him, but I'd see him at a conference enough to say hi and how are you doing, that sort of thing. And from time to time, he would call me and he would say, Tracy, would you be interested in doing some consulting for us? And I said, you know, Bruce, I really can't I can't affiliate with any manufacturer. I really have to be broad in my perspective. And he would get irate and say, we are not a manufacturer. We are an intellectual property company. PRC is the manufacturer. I do the intellect. And I'd say, all right, well, close enough. I'm just saying, no, thank right. you. I appreciate it, but I can't do it. I had, I had no more left Children's Hospital than like two or three weeks 
And I was thinking, well, I'll just, I, I retired from Children's Hospital and I thought I'm just going to go into private practice. I got a call from Bruce Baker and I thought, okay, my friend Gail Van Tatenhove filled him in and told him that I had retired from Children's Hospital. And sure enough, he called and just was kind of chit-chatting a little bit. And I said, well, so what's up, Bruce? And he said, so I'm just wondering if you'd be interested in doing some consulting for us because he was thinking about the PALS conferences. And I said, well, as it turns out, Bruce, I happen to have just retired from Children's Hospital. And of course he said, oh, really? Well, yeah. So, and in the interim, I also had developed a, a, a map, a MinSpeak application program that I was using with some colleagues and it was about narrative language skill development and we were using storybooks and I was very much involved um, with a colleague who, who developed something called the storybook journey. And she did that with typical kids. And so I was kind of getting involved with that. And, and I developed an application program, a MinSpeak application program that was based on storybooks and storybook reading. So I had that kind of relationship with him as well. But again, it was not something that was very, you know, tight or anything. It was just kind of like happenstance. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So where do you see things going now in the, in the future with, uh, with PALS? You said it's online, right? It's virtual. It's online and we're continuing to um, develop these um, instructive programs. And basically we present Bruce Baker's information because he developed this content and it just, you know, after you hear it a few times makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and so we're continuing with that. Um, we're doing some webinars and um, we don't know exactly what our future is going to be. Um, you know, he was kind of the he was the um, money man behind these conferences. And so without his his influence in that area anymore, we're kind of we're struggling with how do we how do we make this work? How do we make it happen? Because once again, his his vision was to not make this his vision was not to make money off of these conferences. His vision was to help people learn. Right. And so we're trying to, we're trying to honor that memory of him and his desire in these conferences and at the same time be able to support our, our efforts. So that's what we're doing. So, and we continue to do that. And we're, again, as I said, we're just this year breaking these three-day conferences into single-day conferences. So we have, we are, we're calling the first day the pillars so we're talking about the foundational information um, related to the linguistic research about language development, and then uh, some hands-on learning in the afternoon with the Unity program, and then um, having um, strategies day. So we talk about descriptive teaching, communication partner training, those kinds of things, mm -hmm. using the um, um, Realize language program, the um, pass program that you can download for free, that sort of thing. And then we also have the guest speaker and we're calling that the masterclass. So we have a guest speaker that's there to really share their experiences with what they're doing, how they're doing it, particularly with MinSpeak systems, of course, but also just in general. And people can sign up for those courses as well. Love it. Is that all on the website? If someone wants to yep, check it that's out, it's all on the minspeak.com website. Great, great. We'll make sure we uh, link to it in the show notes. That'd so, be great. Tracy, kind of closing us out here, I kind of got two final questions. Um, okay. Uh, and that is 
what's something, so Rachel likes to put the, this, this is the kind of her last question in an interview. I'm going to combine her question and my question together, which is, uh, she likes to ask if there was a billboard, uh, that you wished everyone knew about AAC, like you could put some sort of something up on a billboard and you now, this is what every, everyone needs to know about AAC. So it goes up on the billboard. What would it be? Or the way I'd ask that question is what's something you wish everyone knew about AAC? Well, I've thought about this a lot since you posed this question to me earlier, and I guess that, you know, what I would like people to know is that it's not magic. Mm -hmm. Just because you get the system and now you have the system doesn't mean it works. And I've thought about this in reflecting on, you know, how parents feel when they get the box from the company and they open it up and they go, oh, (laughs) so this is what I saw when they did the evaluation and this is what was recommended. And I know all the paperwork went in for it and the company, the insurance company paid for it. And now, Oh my God. Right. Um, And it's kind of like, I think sometimes that as instructors, we think all we have to do is get the, get the device, get the system, get the, get the magic. Yeah. And what we find is that it's just not magic. In fact, it's work. Yeah. And that's it's a the, lot of work. That's when the real work really begins, right? That's right. Getting the yeah, device is right. just one small hurdle, but then actually implementing it with fidelity and teaching. You know, I think that, you know, I think to go a little bit further in that, I think that here's the good news about technology, I think, and, and about apps and about, and about iPads. Um, they have created and opened up so many doors. Mm-hmm so many doors for people who otherwise would not have those doors opened at all. And at the same time, what they've done is increase the the clientele of individuals who are able now to benefit from the technology. So, you know, the technology has made a huge difference. It's, It's really blossomed the whole field of AAC, but what hasn't blossomed is the understanding of how it all works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to have the technology. It's another thing to figure out how to use the technology. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, the magic, it's not magic. And, and along, you know, we, we've talked about the pre-service training bit, you know, we've got many, many, many more people who are now able to use the technology because the technology is out there, but we haven't got at the same level, your graph, it doesn't have the people who know how to use it increasing also, you know, we've stayed flat and maybe even in some ways we've dipped down because what we have now is people who are being forced to do the technology, to do the AAC instructions who don't have a clue about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're doing the best they can Mm -hmm. and it may or may not be the best. Oftentimes it's not. And so, you know, we're starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And I think that, you know, it's the whole idea that the box is not magic. There's just so much more to it that I think that would be the message that I would want people to know. It's not magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me ask you this. What are you curious about when it comes to AAC or really language or whatever, what's, uh, what's kind of tickling your funny bone, if you will, like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of piquing my interest. Well, you know, in addition to the whole communication partner piece, the other thing that I'm really, I'm really wanting to have happen faster than it's happening is the whole brain interface piece. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, what are we going to be able to do in terms of that? I guess it's technology, but the thinking and then the activation. So how are we going to simulate what's happening now as I'm talking? I'm having thoughts popping in and I'm hoping to put words to those thoughts that make sense. How can we do that with the technology piece? How can we have the thoughts in here that now put words out using the technology? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that whole area is something that, you know, I kind of, I sometimes get into and then I just kind of go, this is way above my pay grade. I don't have a clue what you're talking about here. I just want it to work. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So I think, but I think that that is something that, potentially can be huge. Now, the the as I say that, I have to keep in mind, do we know what the thoughts are? How right. do we determine, you know, if it's not working, is it because the technology isn't working or is it because I don't have the thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a whole other area of investigation that we need to be thinking about and looking at and how, you know, I, I mean, we've all experienced the, the episodes where, oh, I didn't think he knew that. And he does. We've experienced that. But what about the other episodes where I thought he knew it, but I guess not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how do we do, how do we deal with that? How do we assess that? How do we determine that? Um, and then, you know, the technology is one thing, but that, that's a whole, you know, that's kind of like, that's kind of like way above anybody's pay grade, you know? I mean, how do I know what you really are thinking? Yeah, Um, exactly. And do I want what I'm really thinking to come out in words on a, uh, on a screen? And then on top of that is uh, let's say we could, because I think you're right. um, This seems to be like we're dipping our toe into the very, like on the first step of the pool and there's a huge deep end to go to. And I feel like it's coming. Right. And it will help so many people with access. Um, The question becomes then uh, what about people who are not um, who might be thinking in pictures, let's say, and putting those words come, those come out in a different way than my brain works, you know, right. uh, all of that seems to be like, uh, um, I don't know, you, people can't see my hands, but the, I'm making these symbols of like, <laughs> this, this sort of like, I don't know, just this mesh of different ways of thinking, you know, and well, really being respectful of that neurodiversity. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, um, you know, I mean, like, is it going to become exclusionary then? Mm-hmm. Is it that only the smart people get to use that technology right, or the ones that, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing quotes um, and the, um, you know, and the ones who aren't the smart people have to struggle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, this gets into a whole, I mean, it's a huge, it's like, you know, it's kind of like the submarine, you see the telescope, but there's way more below the water that you can't see. And so I think that while that's very interesting to me, it's interesting because it also, opens up so many areas of interest that we have to be considering and thinking about that we haven't, I don't think we, or, you know, maybe we have thought about it, but because we don't have the technology, we've, we've done it and don't even know that we're doing it. Maybe we are exclusionary with some people based on the kind of system that we, that we recommend for them Mm -hmm. because they've demonstrated X, Y, Z in terms of skills. Does that really mean that that's the, those are the only skills they have, or is it that I can't figure it out? Yeah. 
yeah, there's uh, it's 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 an exciting time, but it's also a time to be uh, very cognizant of what we're doing. And uh, I'm glad to be like have this podcast as a platform to talk about these sorts of issues, so that the people who are manufacturing these sorts of devices and and uh, the engineers often don't have the experience working with um, or really they're engineers, right? So do uh, you need a whole well-rounded team to learn uh, maybe the best way to to implement something? Yeah. Um, so it's exciting. It's exciting, but there's also a little trepidation there as well. <laughs> it's scary. I mean, I would I would even say scary. Yeah. And 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 here's my thing, because I can say I'm 30 plus years of experience. I'm probably not going to be involved in it too much. <laughs> you, on the other hand, and many of your listeners hopefully will be. Um, and I agree with you. I think this platform is an incredibly important platform to be able to say, okay, here's maybe what's coming and here's maybe what you need to be thinking about. Well, um, one of the reasons I feel prepared uh, to to be one of the people in this conversation is because of the great mentorship I've had over the years. You mentioned Gail, but you have been a great mentor to me. Uh, I'll tell this quick story, Tracy, because I don't know if people know it. Um, many, many years ago, well, I guess 2014, was it? I um, got the call from Bruce to come to present in Australia with him. And just before that, that, um, uh, that excursion to Australia, those presentations, I was presenting at the Kate conference uh, with SWAC, which is in Colorado. And you, you and I met there and you're like, Chris, come have dinner with me and my husband and we're going to meet and I'm going to kind of prepare you for what this experience is going to be and coach you through it. And I've never forgotten that. I think about those that dinner all the time and how um, how it did really help me. Like it's a really, for me, when I sat in that PALS conference and I was in uh, Bruce Baker's basement, it was a surreal moment for me because I, I learned about this guy in college, right? Now I'm sleeping in his basement, you know, and now I'm going to Australia with him. And so to, to, to have you kind of prep me for what that experience was going to be like and what I should do and how I can be supportive. Um, it was just so gracious of you. And I am so appreciative of all the mentorship the the, the, uh, you in particular, but like I said, Gail and a whole a bunch of people that have sort of mentored the the next generation coming up. I've I I, I hope I can do the same as I move in, in that direction. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Chris, and I assure you that you already are doing that. You, Rachel, and the many people that you already have mentored are doing it as well. And that's kind of you know that's the trainer of trainer models. And that's maybe one of the most effective ones that we have out there. So I appreciate that you're doing that as well. Awesome. Well, Tracy, thank you for your time today. I cannot wait for this episode to go up because um, I, these are some of my favorite episodes where we talk about the history and talk about the future and really dig into it. And with someone with your experience, it was just great to pick your brain and hear about these stories and hear your perspective. So thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>